one word of exhortation would be to the best of your abilities and with you know prayerfully with the support of your church and your community don't let fear drive your parenting and don't let fear drive your educational decisions either hello and welcome to thinking out loud i'm your co-host cameron McAllister, and i'm your co-host nathan rittenhouse believe it or not nathan the summer has moved into its ending kind of stages and we're nearing school school Nathan. Uh, let's not think about it yeah but let's not think no, about another it. <laughs> another month and you'll be right some people are ready some I, I would say some parents are probably ready maybe even counting down the days we won't we won't we won't suggest such a thing but nathan i did think it would be interesting to talk about school because it's an important topic especially for us as christians i think in recent years it's grown i think more controversial and i would i think i don't think it's overstatement when we note that a lot of christians view the public school system with wariness and some suspicion and as a dad of two young children and you have some young children yourself some of them a little bit older than than mine and then some of them some of them around right around the same age range actually but i've i've been thinking about this quite a bit having quite a few interesting discussions with my wife about public school so i thought we would we would talk a little bit about the notion of public school and why it seems to be such a squeamish subject particularly in in recent years what has happened this was not the case i think probably 50 years ago or more but it has it's become more and more of a hot topic so maybe we could begin by discussing some of the sweeping changes that have that have taken place when it comes to public education and say a few words also of course about christian education a few words about homeschooling and trying to make sense of this but nathan when i met you come from a family of educators i'm curious about what you th- what some of those major what what you think would be some major changes that have taken place that have really kind of shifted the conversation a little bit and made school public school in particular a more controversial topic yeah so let me I'll let me zoom back a little bit so um you know so like speaking of my grandparents who can remember like the communist threat back in the day right i mean cold war era and all that in the and the and they kind of wryly comment that the fear of communism was that the government was going to start schools to put your children in and they were going to take women and turn them into economic units and make them go to work hmm. um and that was the that was the fear of the of the early th- and so they were like well basically that's the system we have now um and so now i'm not saying there's an indoctrination thing but there is a, a sense in which some of those fears have always been a little bit of uh, anxiety about what exactly is the government teaching our children um so that that concern is alive and well anytime that you depend on and this is another great thing that all of that generation recognized is that you you pay for dependency in units of freedom and so if you're going to cede the education of your children to the state that then gives the state the ability to determine what they're going to teach them I was uh, just this week sitting on a plane beside a woman who was born in Bulgaria in the 
1940s. And she talks about, yeah, under communism, um, you get a free education. That's awesome. It also means that the state then owns you and can send you to work in whatever job for the rest of your life that they want to. And so for her, there's like, this is not a good deal because then you're property of the state if you take their free education. So there's a little bit of, of that that I think, and by the way, I'm not hysterical. I don't think that's the system that we're living in clearly in the United States. I'm just saying that when you outsource something to the government or you depend on that, then you can't be surprised that they would have an interest in crafting what it is that they're teaching there. So I think that's actually the, you asked me what kind of what's the history in the background of some of the curiosity about it is just what is being provided. And so in America, we're in this unique phase of like, we want the government to do stuff, but we still want our autonomy. And that's never really existed anywhere in history that I can think of. And so that's, that's the tension that we sense, I think, particularly as, and it's not just Christians, it's people of all religions is saying, what does it mean for the state to provide something for me and for me to still have uh, freedom of thought, freedom of conscience, freedom of religion? That's fundamentally, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong here, the ultimate tension of saying, we want it free from the state, but we still want autonomy. And yeah, anyway, does does that make sense the way that I'm framing that tension? It does. But I think there's also the notion that education is neutral is probably a false one. So the idea that, I mean, if you're going to be instructing young minds, that is going to come, that will come with values that are implicit in what's emphasized. Of course, it comes with deep sets of convictions and beliefs. And I'm not speaking in, in terms of any kind of religious convictions. I'm just talking about the fact that education itself is not a neutral subject. And I think that gets at some of the tension you're talking about because we want that freedom, but we also want to benefit from the government. And there's that, un there's that uneasy tension there. But of course, the, the government is not a, a neutral entity. And there are, of course, deep-seated convictions that animate the United States. So we could point to some of the, the poster examples in the past of the, the, some of the religious impulses or practices and habits that were removed from schools, right? Prayer, of course. And then probably another major, in the past, a major controversy involved the teaching of evolutionary theory. But that, that, kind, of, that kind of gets at it, doesn't it? Because there's this kind of hope where we, we want, so yes, we want freedom. We want to be able to express ourselves as we see fit. And we want a government that doesn't impose any of its, you know, its, its kind of vision on us in education. But there's a sort of an inevitability to that because those were all attempts to kind of keep education as neutral as possible or mm -hmm. to use another loaded word that we we've we've used here before secular right yeah the whole secular conversation and of course we've you you can nuance that word but secular just meaning education the notion that education ought to be nonpartisan right and neutral but there is no 
real sense of neutrality. I think there's growing recognition of that. And I think that's part of the tension as well. There's a political aspect to that, but there's also a spiritual aspect to that for us as Christians, as we think about school. Yeah. Well, and there's some, some practical things here too. Um, I think the government as a phrase is a very interesting, the government runs, no, it's Mm -hmm. the government is by the people. So it depends on the character and the nature of the person that you have in your child's classroom or in the leadership of your school. So, I mean, there's a high degree of variability, even within an attempt to be secular that I think worries people. So that that just is what it is. It's the system is made out of people and that's part of living life is that. Now, the other thing is that you, you mentioned things like prayer in school that I have some maybe marginally different views on. One of those is, first of all, prayer is not illegal in school. It's you could totally find to pray for your lunch. I mean, that's that's not what most people there are talking about is, I guess, teacher led or or state school taught prayer. And I'm not sure how exactly people think that would work out. Um, first of all, it's a school for a whole bunch of people who aren't all Christians. So there's that. And even if it was and I say this cautiously because I happen to like the teachers, the public school teachers that my children have. I actually don't want them to teach my children how to pray. <laughs> that is like, if I'm, th- if I'm making a list of like, where should my children learn how to pray? Well, hopefully their seventh grade science teacher will be the best one to do that. Uh, I mean, really, is that, y- you see what I'm saying there? Like, so it's a little bit, oh, to yeah. me, it's a little bit of a, an easy scapegoat. Well, we got to get prayer back in schools without thinking through what would that mean? And do, and if we think through what that means, is that desirable? Um, Anyway, yeah, so that's anyway, that's another little tangent, but I, I think there's some helpful things to think through. But what what I'm pointing at there, and I think this is where this conversation is going, is that I think my children learn most of their things that are important in life, not at school. And so if we if we narrow the whole window of education down into what they do after they get on the school bus and after, you know, then then that's a pretty narrow view of Christian education. So people often say, do you homeschool your children? And I say, we absolutely do. And they go to the public school. And it's, and it's just kind of that, <laughs> that, that yep. pinch at like at parenting is education. That's what we're, what we're doing and we're a part of. And Hey, you know what? I think it's pretty great that the state provides some reading specialist and some fun ways to learn fractions. And, you know, not that my wife and I can't teach those. I, we certainly could. But then there's the bigger educational component of learning to be different from the culture around you. That's a huge part of this. So anyway, maybe getting a sidetracked from where we're headed, but wanted to throw those things out there. Yeah, I mean, I think where the, the primary locus of a child's education is going to be the home and then the church. Well, I should say a Christian child's education is going to be the home and the church. That's why the the mindset I think that that I've I've described the mindset as spiritual education belongs to experts. That's the whole that's the idea that you would outsource your kids' education in some you know way, shape or fashion whether you you know that's in sending them to a school or or you know some kind of a, a special camp or all sorts of training mm-hmm. all by the way, very helpful resources. But if it comes at the cost of you handing off 
your own parental responsibility and authority, then I think the attempt is is deeply misguided. So we can't get away from the fact that the main place that children, their their imagination, their vision of the world is going to be shaped is going to be in their community, right? And again, which ideally speaking, if if we're talking about a Christian household, will be first of all the home, but then also your church. You kind of have I think it's it's helpful to to almost think in terms of a sort of parish view here of your church as the community. I remember one of my elders who has who has since passed away once pointed out to me, and I think I mentioned this on the podcast before. He said, "You know, Cameron, I'm because I was talking to him about the difficulties of parenting. This is what you do as you get older, right? And you have kids. You talk about the difficult. You talk about how hard it is to have kids. So I was talking to to him. His his kids are older, and he had said, "Well." You know, I, I don't raise. I didn't raise my kids alone. Of course, you you help to raise them. We all we're all we're all helping. We're all taking a hand here. This is, in a sense, the the sort of the village, <laughs> if you mm-hmm. will, and that's a really rich and helpful view, and that has proven true for my kids as well. So all that to say, the community, the home, and the community to which you belong are incredibly important structures for shaping the hearts and minds of your kids. Now that's not to, I don't want to underplay how important school is and what a critical role it plays and how much, of of course, if you're sending your child to a school, let's say particularly a public school, the amount of time that they are there and being taught, and also it's not just what they're being taught in the classroom, it's what's happening outside the classroom with their peers. All of that is also playing a major role in shaping them. So I don't want to downplay that. And on that note, though, maybe it's, maybe it's a helpful moment to bring in some of the, 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 you know, the threats or the perceived, perceived threats that are happening here in the educational system. So as the United States, as a nation, as we, we're, I would think you could say we're the influence of the church is waning. Now that might be the I, I prefer to make an under I'd prefer to make an understatement. I don't think the United States is post-Christian at the moment. I think that that may be in our future, but we're such a religiously diverse nation. It's hard to think about what totally post-Christian United States would look like. I'm not a prophet, but certainly I think it would be pretty uncontroversial to say, or not very radical statement to say that the influence of the church in North America has significantly waned. And as that happens, as, you know, basically more and more radical views on human identity and sexuality begin to make their way into the curriculum of our schools, I think that's that's another that probably is one of the items that's foremost on many people's minds as they think about public school in particular. What are some health how do we think about that and process that in a healthy way, Nathan? Do you I mean, is that in your mind a game changer when it comes to public school education? Yeah, I think on the particularly on the sexual education part, it does um it certainly means that I've had to have conversations with my children about things sooner than I probably would have if I was designing the system myself. So yeah, there's, there's a reality there. That's, that's definitely part of that. Um, it's, it's challenging though, because I think if you can go back and look at 
1960s. I don't know. Like, is the, is the yeah. some of the sexual chaos in the world is not new. Um, the degree to which that is celebrated and made available, I think, is the is the guiding principle there. So the this is this is the challenge, I think. And and I want to throw a word in here uh, quickly. I know people who do an absolutely phenomenal job homeschooling their children and their great networks. And I love and uh, dearly lots of people who do that really, really well. So let's put that in there. Um, and maybe we'll talk about that some too later. But essentially what's happening, I think if you're doing an entirely Christian schooling, entire or entirely homeschooling Christian schooling program, you're doing a good job of helping your children understand what they are and what they believe. The public school on some of these other chaotic ideas has the opportunity if they're being formed well at home and in their Christian community, the public school then provides them an opportunity to realize what they're not. And so there's a, there's a comparative element there to where my nine-year-old daughter very early had a very clear idea of this is how Christians behave and this is how non-Christians behave and this is what I do and this is what other people do and this is how I deal with harassment for not believing what my other classmates believe, you know? So the, I think that's the conversation that parents have is, so what age do my children need to start learning how to do that? Um, and, and that will entirely depend on the level of community and support you feel like you're embedded in, in your Christian faith. I have seen some pretty bad examples of people who lived in a bit of a Christian bubble for a long time and then, uh, hit the university scene and realized the world was a very different place than they thought and looked pretty good. So a part of it is a um, is that balancing out of are we is there a comparative element to so yeah I don't I don't I, th I mean I don't think the main thing my kids are learning in school is academic. There's definitely a social mm -hmm. and cultural formative element. And I went through that and it was miserable. I deleted half of my memories of middle school. Um, and yes, it is a headache. My kids learn words and see TikTok videos on the bus that are not preferable. Um, so I don't know. It's a it's a it's a it's a challenging situation, but I think it's multivariable, and so it's hard to come down on any uh, hard connection there of saying this is what Christians should do, because it really, really does depend on your local school and your church community, on your family stability. All sorts of those things factor into that. So I don't know. Sorry, not really directly answering your question. Well, uh, there isn't a one size fits all answer to this question. It's going to be it's going to be also not only is it dependent on your parenting and your community surrounding you, it's also going to be dependent on your child. And mm -hmm. we've talked about this Nathan, different children have different needs and different requ requirements. So while one of my kids might flourish in a public school environment, the other may not. And we want to decide accordingly here. I think what I want to do with this conversation is provide some, maybe some helpful guidelines as we consider public schooling. Another item that you brought up that I think is extraordinarily helpful is, are the challenges that we're seeing, this comes up again and again on Thinking Out Loud, but we need to beat the drum. Are the challenges that we're seeing, you refer to them with the phrase sexual chaos. I think that's a helpful phrase. Is sexual chaos new? And of course, no, it's not. 
and especially its more radical manifestations. We have been seeing those since, arguably, it's hard to put a definitive date here, but let's say the 60s, right? The sexual revolution onwards has been a consistent and growing emphasis there. I think one question, particularly if we're thinking about public school right now and public education, one question that's really important for us as parents is to consider the issue of authority. So who is going to have more authority in your child's life? You or their teacher? You or their educator? Now, my hope would be that I think, I mean, in a, in a healthy home and with a healthy, healthy community, you will have a healthy level of parental authority. And that authority would allow you, if need be, and in certain circumstances, to challenge what some of the teachings that your children are receiving, maybe, or some of the items in their curriculum. Yeah, so, I, so yeah, I, let me back up because I want to clarify something. When I talk about sexual chaos, I think most people would agree to that, but say the concern is that, well, now it's being taught to nine-year-olds, and that's new. So the age of introduction is new to that. And, and I do think that's a concern. I, I see that. However, and so you said authority, is it your home or the school system? And there's another huge one that's called the internet that's connected there. Yeah. And so if you're allowing your child to spend time on a device connected to the internet, I guarantee you they're being exposed to things that are far crazier than anything that any public school system has come up with as an educational structure. And so it, it just blows my mind that we're like, oh, well, we're concerned about what they might be teaching our children in third grade. Well, we'll watch Game of Thrones with them. Like, what? You know, so it's 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 a broader way of thinking about this, of influence in general. So, yeah, I mean, I think there are people who consistently live that out, but I know a whole lot of people who are complaining about what is uh, shown in, you know, talked about in school, but think, well, as long as I'm watching this with my kids, it doesn't really matter. So there's a third new influencer there. And I sometimes wonder if we're not taking that seriously or thinking about this is a form of education and discipleship as well. So just throw that one in the mix too of if you're going to draw hard lines in the sand about this, do it consistently and say, mm -hmm. I don't want my child engaging with this type of content means that you're going to have to make some technological decisions as a family as well. Um, by and large, likely your biggest problem is not your fourth graders teacher. It's what they're getting through uh, channels that you give them. So that's just a little rant there on the side, I think in defense of, um, and you know, I know a lot of people who are, who are teachers and say, you know what, if we could, you know, if we could brainwash them, they would bring a pencil to school every single day. Uh, so teachers themselves don't <laughs> feel that they have the uh, quite the authority to change behavior. Um, and every teacher that you talk to will say, we can only do so much. Most of the outcomes of this depend on what the home life and the home support is for whether a student excels or um, crashes and how they socially interact and engage. So I think it's really important that as you're seeing perhaps some flamboyant critiques of the public education system that you're talking to um, people who work in, I bet there are people in your church who work in public education. Um, and I come from a church with a lot of people who do. And so that's a really great way for our church to be involved in the community. Um, and so every once in a while when people are 
going on a rant about how teachers are destroying the world, I kind of look over at them and give them a wink and they grin because um, that's not, that's universally not true. All right. One more thing before I move on here. And that is if you were part, if you're part of an old denomination, meaning that you, not the people in it are old, but it has a history. I guarantee you that at some point there was a big discussion about whether or not Sunday school at church was a good idea. And I know certainly in my denomination, that was a huge fight way back, like early 1900s of saying, look, if we start having a Sunday school, then children, then parents are going to start neglecting their responsibility to spiritually form and educate their children. And they're going to outsource that to the church. And the church is not the appropriate place for children to get the majority of their spiritual foundation and growth. Now, how weird does that sentence sound in 2022? That the church is not the place where children can best grow and learn. Now, I do think Sunday schools are a good idea, partly because not everybody grows up in a Christian household. But when you scroll back 100 years and look at those arguments, and then you apply that to the modern educational system and some of the questions we're asking, it's kind of funny, and I think a, a helpful reminder of some of the paradigms and some of the things we've been concerned about in the past about who is doing the education. And so anyway, fun little historical tidbit there. Yeah, but also along the lines of your internet example, I think things are actually much worse than that. So yes, you can clamp down on your policies, your internet policies in your own home. You can refuse to buy your children smartphones. And I think in some cases, by the way, well, I think there's a very good argument to be made for withholding smart devices as long as possible. That might be a longer, a different discussion. But they have friends and they walk past people and there are ways that the internet, that that online world and social media reach kids with a kind of inevitability. This is so in the book, Faith at Lasts, I call this the, the porous, permeable nature of your home. And the internet brings a whole new level to that because this stuff just sort of seeps in all the time. So just to underscore some of what you were saying, those conversations those difficult conversations, particularly those surrounding sexuality and identity, are com they're arriving earlier and earlier, but they're going to arrive earlier and, and earlier for all of us, whether our children attend a public school or not. I think I'm just I think I'm just going to put that that out there. That has to do with the overall shifting dynamics of our cultural moment. Yeah. Well, so, let me. Can I just yeah. interrupt here and say, actually, the most challenging things we've had to explain are to our children who can read F. Biden signs. What does F-U-C-K Biden mean? That's mm -hmm. not a public school issue. It's just that they're seven or nine and can read and you're driving down the road. Um, yep. Okay, so how are you going to protect your children from that one? That's the most challenging one is how do you explain that to a first grader? Um. Yeah. So it's part I'm I'm kind of like I think what we're pushing out here Cameron is yeah public school is influential but you live in a world that's more chaotic than you think and there are far greater channels of chaos into your home than just oh it's the public school system's fault um and I'm I'm not I, I maybe I'm slightly defensive of teachers cuz I <laughs> was raised by them and have brothers that are you know I mean I have a lot of family who works in that system but um Let's just be consistent. Mm -hmm. I guess that's what I'm asking for. Well, and also, 
and I think this this might be a fitting conclusion for this particular discussion, and it's a challenging note, but I'm going to speak from my own childhood experience here. So I grew up, I'm a third culture kid. I grew up in, in Europe, in Austria, and I, I've attended both public and Christian schools. I started off at an Austrian school where I learned to read and write in German, just little... <laughs> A little lesson for some of our our listeners. They do, in fact, speak German in Austria. But then I transferred to a private American Christian school, and then we moved to the United States, and I was in public schools at that point. So I've I've kind of seen a lot of the different educational institutes and what they have to offer. And coming to the United States was by far the most, I think, when it when it comes to challenges to the faith, it's it's been the most challenging environment when it comes to my Christian convictions and my faith. And bear in mind, I came from secular Austria. But part of that had to do with cultural Christianity, which really has a foothold here, particularly in the South, where I live, where a lot of people will, you know, they say, you know, they go to Christian, they, they go to church almost as though it's more of just a kind of a social club or a country club or a social gathering. That still is happening to this day. But one of the things that was very important, and I only recognize this in hindsight, is that my parents had a lot of anxiety as they saw all of the manifold temptations here in the United States. This is one of, I mean, America is simply put one of the most seductive countries out there. And I really have traveled around the world. Nathan, I know you have as well. America is an incredibly seductive place. And my parents weren't prepared for just how seductive it was. And they were, they were pretty nervous when they came. But one thing that they refused to do was let fear drive their parenting. They were nervous. They were often worried. They were concerned, but they were never afraid. And that, I noticed that. I noticed that as an adolescent. So their responses to some of the incredibly destructive and poisonous elements of the culture that I picked up at school, many of which I I really liked and relished for a while, was sometimes, there were sometimes varying degrees of alarm, but they were always ready to talk through it carefully and discerningly. And they always appealed to my conscience and my heart rather than just trying to exert some form of control over me. Don't get me wrong. I lived in their home, it was, you know, it was, it was their home and their rules and there were boundaries, but they mainly appealed to my heart and my conscience and they worked and aimed at persuasion and fear did not drive what they were doing. And that made all the difference in the world. And I think I would like to just say a few words in, in favor of that approach. There's no one size fits all methodology here. And we're not telling you, of course, where to send your kids. We wouldn't do that. But we are, I think one suggestion I would make to you, one word of exhortation would be to the best of your abilities and with, you know, prayerfully with the support of your church and your community, don't let fear drive your parenting and don't let fear drive your educational decisions either. I want to say that's that's helpful, Cameron. Uh, the example from your childhood there, and and seeing that your parents didn't let fear drive it. I think another thing that's was really helpful for me 
is that in being a young little mind growing and recognizing that I needed to do things in a very, very different way than all of my friends did was to see that my parents were actually making those decisions at the same time too. And so it was hard for them to do things that were different than what their friends were doing and to make choices that were different. And so I saw it not as a phase of life to go through, but a style of life to learn to live in. And I was reminded of that just recently. I have a nephew who's in kindergarten who has shown something he should not have seen. Um, and my brother was talking to him and he said, look, we have to learn how to do these things. And he said, this isn't hard. This isn't just for you and what you see and not repeating the words that you hear. He said, your dad deals with this all of the time. What videos do I not click on on my computer? What am I looking at? What words am I choosing not to say? I have friends that do things that I don't believe are a good idea, and I have to say no to them even when most of my friends. And so I think that's a cool kind of parenting too of saying what's being formed here is a style of life, not a phase of life. That watching your parents struggle with their convictions and their relationships, for me that was like just a, a breath of fresh air to see them do that well because it it was the grown-up version of what I felt like I was living in. And so it didn't, it it didn't it, it didn't feel isolating in that sense. It was just like, yeah, I'm a Christian. This is what we do and this is what we don't do. And this is what I these are the decisions I'll need to be learning to make for the rest of my life. So I think there's a real value in that too, if you can cultivate, like Cameron was saying, not a not deciding out of fear, but also modeling your own wrestles well for them so that your children who have to say no and go against the flow, um, feel like they're part of a community that does that, not just um, in isolation wrestling that on their own. I think my wife and I have often said, hey, we'll take it one kid one year at a time. It depends on the child, what they can handle, depends on the teacher, depends on the school, depends on the classmates. We don't have any hard and fast rules. We're very flexible and we're open to this. I have um, structural questions about the future of public schooling that aren't so much cultural or content of just whether or not the state will maintain itself in a coherent fashion that can actually support the teachers. I think in the past, homeschooling was uh, something that people looked at as like, do, are the children getting what they're needed, need what they need in order for a good education? Question now of whether the teachers are getting what they need in order to have the tools and the support that they need to run the system well. And so there might be reasons for broader structural collapse around your public school system that, um, influence the way you think about these things as well. So I think it's a very, very live question. And it's one that we can't ever stitch up and just definitively put to bed. And so as with so many other thinking out loud things, sorry about that, kind of ran some circles here and didn't give you any definitive answers. But I hope that in the conversation that Cameron and I have, and I'm guessing in the years to come, Cameron, we will loop back around on this one multiple times. I hope for those of you who are listening in on this, that there's been something, uh, at least stirs your thinking on that, that will produce good fruit in your life. And whether you have kids or not in the way that you interact with young people in your church and community and your congregations, um, you have a wonderful opportunity to shape Christ likeness and someone else. And so we encourage you to make the most of every opportunity to do so. Hey, thanks for listening to Thinking Out Loud, a podcast where we think out loud about current events and Christian hope. Thanks for listening to Thinking Out Loud. If you'd like to learn more about what we do, book Nathan or Cameron, or if you'd like to support us financially, 
Whether through a one-time donation or on a monthly basis, you can do so on the donate page at www.toltogether.com. That's toltogether.com. And please consider leaving us a five-star rating and sharing this content with your friends. It really does help.